Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of friends transformed by God's grace. My name is Zach Adams, Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, who's incredibly blessed to pastor the greatest church around, Calvary 316, located just outside of Athens, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about the church, uh, you can visit our website, calvary316.com. Tonight I am joined, we've taken two weeks off, uh, had a little bit of uh, late summer, early fall vacation time, so we've taken the last two weeks off, but as always, I am joined in the studio by my brothers, Mr. Nicholas Monty and Mr. Derek Kennedy. Welcome guys, enjoy What's your vacation. Up? We out here right now, yeah, it was great. It you're was both great. looking tan. Yeah, thank you. I'm browned up. Browned up. Derek, <laughs> you're, you're very floral tonight. You've oh, absolutely. A, I'm still in beach mode, you're, honestly. <laughs> you're <laughs> still in hookah shells with the teeth on them. Shark teeth. Shark exact. tooth? Is that a real shark tooth? Uh, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, we were, we were going to Hilton Head, and my son Theodore was very adamant about finding a shark tooth on the beach. And, um, <laughs> and so we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and it was, like, close to the last day, and Theo, who was, like, three at the time, was really bummed out that he hadn't found a shark, shark tooth. And so... Uh, Jess was like, we really got to figure out some solution to this. And so that night I found like one of those cheap plasticky necklaces that had a little shark tooth on it. And I, I took, I took the necklace off and I got my other son Quincy involved on kind of the gag. And so when I gave Quincy the sign, you know, he was like, Oh, Theo, come over, come here. So he came over to my chair and I had put it right in the sand. Theo's eyes lit up. He grabbed it, rinsed it off. You know, was elated that he had found a shark tooth, <laughs> and uh, and he comes over. He goes, "Dad, um, did you notice that there's like this perfect?" And again, smart kid for three, but he was like, "There's a perfect circle, and like the top of this tooth." <laughs> and I thought, I thought to myself in that moment, "Shoot, I'm gonna have to tell the truth. I'm gonna have to come clean." And but Theo didn't skip a beat. He goes, "You know what?" Got all serious. He goes. I think the shark probably had a cavity. <laughs> and I was like, son, that's probably exactly the situation. Now, Quincy kind of got upset because he felt like he was lying to his brother about the whole situation. And I was like, son, maybe concerning the letter of the law, we are lying to Theodore. Um, but, but you need to have in your heart of hearts the desire to tell him the truth. Just wait. And Quincy was like, well, when do I wait? I was like, so one day Theo is going to get married, okay? <laughs> and, and I'll officiate the wedding, and Theo will be standing there, right? And right before his bride comes to make her way down the aisle, you got to lean over to Theodore and say, hey, bud, I've been holding this back, but that shark tooth was plastic. It was fake. I just feel bad about it. And then just step back, and we'll just let it roll. Because that's the oh. one moment in his life you told the truth. He won't even remember it. And, uh, and so he can't react yeah. really. He he'll, can't react. He, I just hope he never actually like watches this. Or he won't this. cry because he's seeing his bride come right, down. He'll cry because of the, it's, tooth, it's, the betrayal. So that is that is right now. That is right now our, our current plan of breaking the news. He still has this shark tooth. You know, oh I, I can't. Like, there's going to come the day that a friend comes over. And he's like, "Bro, this is plastic." I'm going to tell him. And right Theo now. will be adamant. I mean, he will argue until he's blue that it's not. It's <laughs> I real. wonder where he, he gets it. that. Uh, his mother. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to Derek and uh, and Nicholas uh, being with me, I'm also joined. You heard his voice, but I'm also joined in the studio by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, Mr. Creighton Vaughn. You two have also been at the beach. Yes, I have. I also have a shark tooth. Oh, uh, <laughs> you guys boys, are boys. Y'all are ridiculous. Oh yeah, we are. Yes, I, we I, are. I, I do have to say, I heard a rumor. Oh boy! I, I heard a rumor That's that you're true. that you're contemplating a winter mustache. Is is there any validity to that that rumor? Uh, I want us to be very clear. I am not contemplating a winter mustache. Oh, it's coming! I have decided winter is coming on a winter mustache. Oh. Okay. Yes. So uh, you can kind of see the curl coming in right oh here. At what point will <laughs> oh, yeah. you be shaving the beard though? Because you got to go full mustache. Uh, I'm going to shave the beard in October towards the end, probably for Halloween. I'll do a mustache for Halloween and then I'll just rock the mustache through uh, mustache November uh, and just December, rolling. January, February. Um, and then once it starts getting cold. warm again, 
We'll wait. Uh, I'll figure out what I'm going to do from there. Like a good oyster month passes. Like when we can no longer eat oysters, that's, that's the indicator that maybe it's time to shave. Yes. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, uh, I think the whole audience is looking forward to seeing this. It's going to be something. I don't know Mm. if you fellows feel the same way as I, but. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You just better get a scarf. Do you, Nick, Nick, do you have cold. a necklace too? Yes. Yeah. I got one too. Oh, it's, boys? Yeah. oh, it's blending into really your Georgia right Tech now. t-shirt. Y'all are <laughs> y'all are just the coolest people in the whole world. <laughs> for for uh, context, the three of us all went to the beach together. Yes. Uh, it's not like we all went to the beach and thought, you know what looks really good? <laughs> that <laughs> would have been even better. Yeah. If we all <laughs> come back and had the tooth necklace on, <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> We, we we start Outlaw Radio and you guys look at each other like, hey, man, that's a cool necklace. That, that's a cool necklace. Like wow. all independently got your own. No. Your, yeah. We're not quite that lame. We, re- we refer no, to you. No, you're, uh, you're very much that lame. It's there's, like there's, there's yeah. no in it's between. It's the pressing of the spirit, I guess. Well, we you know, got to move. Let's heart. move on. <laughs> if you're new to the show, uh, there is a lot of dysfunction. Again, Creighton is is uh, the producer of it all. A uh, few, few quick things about how the show works. Uh, first, the show's entirely unscripted. We're going to have a Bible study tonight. I have no idea what the topic is as of this moment, nor do Derek and Nick. The only person that knows the topic, what we're going to be talking about, is Creighton, and he will uh, inform us of that in just a few minutes. Uh, aside from being unscripted, the show is also just designed to be interactive, um, not just a conversation between friends here in the studio, but also if you're watching online, um, I know some people are listening on the podcast, but but we live stream every episode of the Outlaw Radio Show on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Radio Outlaw, as well as our YouTube channel, uh, which you, you can easily find at outlawradio.live. Uh, so under the videos, uh, the, the streams, there's a comment section, and Creighton, as the producer, is monitoring uh, both um, Facebook as well as YouTube. So if you'd like to uh, interject, if you'd like to join the conversation, the Lord puts a thought on your mind, impresses something on your heart, something that you'd like to share. Uh, type it in the comment section, uh, and we will include it periodically. Creighton will interject some of those thoughts um, into the show um, as everything unfolds. So, uh, with like all that, uh, first in- instance. Oh, so we already have an instance of it. Yes. Good. Uh, I got a blessing from Millie and Kyle, our good friends of the show, Millie and Kyle, on my mustache. They're in uh, favor of it. So yeah. they're in favor. Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make the show about your mustache, but, I do. but we really, <laughs> really periodically, if you're watching, we, we need, we need feedback into, uh, thoughts about whether or not a mustache will enhance or, or deflate Creighton's chances of getting any type of date. I mean, winter. Samson, like Samson, probably. <laughs> There's no biblical evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, just probably. Anyway, so yes, if, if you think Creighton should grow the mustache, uh, be 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 sure to interject. Uh, we'd appreciate your your thoughts. Thank you, Kyle and Millie. Uh, so, with all that being said, and the mustache just kind of set to the side for a moment. <laughs> Creighton, what uh, of of edification and benefit uh, are we going to be talking about? Uh, this evening okay so last week well not last week three weeks ago last time we were um, together last time we were together last time on um (laughs) we talked about my favorite bible character whose name is ananias he's the guy who ministered to paul after the road to damascus baptized paul whole deal real cool guy so i thought we would go on the far side of that um and talk about the other ananias 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 and sapphira um, who are in the first part of chapter five of Acts. Um, I think it's like 10 verses maybe. And it's just a very, it's one of those strange occurrences in the Bible where something will happen and then the writer will just move right along. Um, and in this so, situation, the writer <laughs> being Luke, like there's yes. no mystery of the writer. Yes, but they'll just move right along. They'll tell you what happened and they'll just move on. And give, like, no real explanation of what happened or really why. And so my question is mostly why on the what, which I can describe or you can read. Which we can get into for sure. So, so we're going to stay on an Ananias theme Yes, is what we're doing. We're going to kind of, we're developing some character, character profile. So last time we were together, we had an Ananias that um, is famous, uh, is, uh, is recorded in scripture for a good reason. 
Uh, now, tonight, we're going to look at another Ananias <laughs> who's included in the annals of Scripture um, for uh, a bad reason. Um, he did not, uh, did not do well. Um, according to the the account and the record provided by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And so <laughs> no, uh, he's kind of the anti-Ananias. The anti-Ananias. And I mean, he's coupled with most people, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, you got to throw in his wife, right. his wife as well. Uh, as you mentioned, um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, is, is presented for us. It's recorded for us. Um, in Acts chapter five, and, and we'll, we'll read this story in, in just a moment. Uh, but I want to point out just right off the jump, uh, the most obvious point that should be made. Um, this is Acts chapter five, which means that we are very early in the book of Acts. So the, the Acts of the Disciples of Jesus Christ is the longer title for a book we just call the book of Acts, the book of actions. Uh, these are the actions um, of the disciples of Jesus as they've been filled and operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke writing... Um, uh, a historical record, uh, I think, to be presented as a defense brief for the Apostle Paul, another topic for another day, um, goes to painstaking efforts um, to compile this record. The Gospel of Luke, um, he is writing, recording the story of Jesus, presenting Jesus as the ultimate man, but, but documenting historically uh, Jesus, how Christianity came to be this thing. Um, and then the book of Acts is to document its spread. So by the time that Paul stands before Nero, uh, early 60 AD, the, the church is rapidly in 30 years, three decades, spread to dominate the empire. Um, it, it went from being this very fringe um, new religion among kind of a sect of Jews to jumping out of Judaism, out of Jewish culture into Gentile uh, domains, and it spread like wildfire. And, and, and primarily, that's why Luke spends a good portion of his book in the, in the second half uh, focused on the Apostle Paul. Not only is he writing a brief for Paul, thus he's the central character, but Paul played a pivotal role in the spread of the gospel across the Roman Empire. Again, going back to the point, though, Luke is writing about the, the church, the formation of church, the development of the church, um, you have chapter one opening with Jesus and his closest disciples, uh, giving them some final words, some parting exhortations, a repeating of the Great Commission instruction to go to Jerusalem to wait. Um, interesting, you know, Jesus says, you know, go into the world and spread the gospel, but, but, but wait, <laughs> wait to do that. Go back to Jerusalem, just chill out for, for a moment. Um, and so they wait about 10 days uh, till the day of Pentecost and they're all gathered in the upper room. They're praying, they're waiting on the Lord, and uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit um, finds its manifestation. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. An amazing scene, the church is born, 3,000 souls are, are, are brought into the faith um, as a result of, of Peter standing up, providing the explanation. That's chapter 2. Sermon recorded in chapter 3. Chapter 4, I mean, we're, we are, again... By the time you get to chapter 5, the church is primarily in Jerusalem. It's maybe five or so thousand people. It's hard to say with, with 100% certainty. We're given a few numbers, a few figures. Um, interestingly, that, that the passage immediately before chapter 5, so chapter 4, beginning, let's say, with verse 32, we're given a little glimpse into this, this new community, um, a group of people now uh, followers of Jesus, but filled with the Holy Spirit, trying to figure out what church is, what it means like, uh, what it looks like, uh, how it should function. Uh, let, let me read you kind of the, the, the precursor, what leads up to it. Uh, we read that now there was a multitude of those who believed. They were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Uh, again, not communism, communism. Uh, communism says what is yours is mine. Communism says, hey, what's mine is yours. It's incumbent upon the giver and not the taker. And we see that within the Christian community. Not communism, a communism, but communism. Uh, a love for brother, heart. So they're sharing all that they had with, e with each other. And we're told in verse 33 that great power, there was great power with the apostles. They gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I love this phrase, in great grace. An abounding of grace was upon them all. Again, uh, no one had led the church before. This is all brand new. Uh, figuring things out, working their way through it. 
Uh, verse 34, nor was there anyone who, among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Hoseas, probably Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a little context that's necessary before you look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and that is just the culture um, of this new church. Great grace. You know, great grace. You know, when I say the, the phrase, fellas, when I say great grace, what comes to mind? Like, how does that strike you guys? You know, a church community where everyone is abiding in this great grace. One at a time. Don't, don't jump in too <laughs> yeah. fast. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying, trying to think. think. Like, I, I mean, grace in and of itself, but then for a church to abide in great grace, like what that would look like. It's not just grace. It's a great grace. Yeah. It's an abounding grace. I, I love how Gail Irwin um, once described this, this great grace, this abounding grace. is like just there was waves upon waves. You know, we've all been at the beach. Waves upon waves of grace. Just a potluck, a constant potluck. A constant <laughs> smorgasbord, yeah. Yeah. a cornucopia of grace. I love that. Like a, to be in a church community. And, and I, love the, the, I love the insight of just that, that everyone was one with each other. Like, people were not materialistic. You know, they, you had people coming from all different walks of life, um, all different economic spheres. You had rich people and poor people. You had slave. You had free. You had Hellenistic Jews, or these were Jews that kind of had adopted Hel- uh, Greek culture, intermingled with, like, Orthodox Jews. You know, some of the, the you know, ex-priests and Pharisees, scribes and whatnot. You had a, a crazy mixture of people within this church community. Creighton, you were, you were going to Yeah, what I think of when I think of great grace is um, it's, a, it's a culture that stymies division. Because the more grace you have between your members, the less friction you're going to have. You're going to have people leaving over things that are more or less trivial. Um, so it's a very, like, cohesive... I hate the word to use inclusive because of its current connotation, but inclusive, loving, just a really great place to be. Yeah, it's like the body acting as the true body, like all the per- parts actually working together, the eye and the foot and the hand, everybody working together to be the body. And, and you, know how exactly. you, accomplish, yeah. you know how you accomplish great grace? And this goes to what both of you are saying. There is there's a, like you keep the main thing the main thing, you know, if, if we have disagreements about the main thing, well, there, there, there might be a justifiable reason for division. Right. You know, if, we're, if we're having debates on... The es- Aryan heresy. Essential things. Well, then th- those demand not just contention and arguments, but, but if there's not any reconciliation with them, um, they should lead to some division or separation. Um, and yet this church, if, again, if you look back, we're told there was great power with the apostles giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Like, mm. like they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. They were proclaiming, you, you go back through, through Peter's first sermon that, that he gave. I mean, it was, it was all about this Jesus that you crucified, God has re- raised from the dead, um, which is a great selling point. Jesus um, being raised from the dead gives validity not just to who he claimed to be, but what he claims to be able to do. And that's provide hope that death is not the end, but the beginning of something new. And so they kept the main thing, the main thing. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead and he's changed us all. And so there's great grace when you're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so there's this love, there's this community. Uh, and one of the manifestations of this unity was that no one, no one lacked. Now, one of the things, like it's easy to say, you know, we take care of everyone's needs. But the reality in that day, as well as today, is that to meet needs, you need resources. You, you, you need, like, like, you know, you talk about a church um, taking care of its community, taking care of those in need. Well, you, you've got to have resources, money, in order to, to meet the practical needs. Like, I can pray for a brother who is, um, who's lost his job, who's got bill, bills mounting up. I can pray that the Lord will provide him money. And no doubt there's a place for that in service. 
Um, it's great when the church has the resources to just meet the need. But you only have the resources if people are, are giving, if there is a generosity. And we're told that there was a, there was a way to do this. We're told that they would, bring, uh, they would sell possessions and they would bring the money to the apostles and the apostles would distribute those resources and those monies accordingly uh, so that there was no one within the community that, that, that was lacking. Um, there is no specific mandate as to how much people were... Uh, well, first, no one was asked to do this. This was a natural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There was no, you know, we, we talk about a tie, 10%. I think there's some biblical precedent for that, but there was no number. Again, if, if, if generosity is a manifestation of great grace, then, uh, then it, you really enter into a lot of law when you start getting into the particulars of numbers. Well, it's, it's, a, it's this percentage, or it's, you know, do you, do you give on the, the gross or the net? You know, is this before taxes or after taxes? You know, <laughs> You know, you know, I'm Does bonus this. go into income when I'm dealing with tithe? Right. Do, do I tithe on a bonus? Well, what about this, the, the stimulus I got from the government? You know, like, is that, should I tithe on that? Like, if you're asking those questions, don't do anything. Like, you, you, like you've missed the entire point. Like, Bible talks about being a hilarious giver. Like, like if, if the Lord gives to you, 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 you want to give back. And, they, and they, there was a mechanism, again, within this community. You know, sometimes we think of, and we, we paint a picture of the first church as kind of being... Um, totally led by the spirit, man. And there was like, like it was, it was, a, it was a super organism with no organization. The, the reality though, is that that doesn't exist. Uh, an organism by definition needs organization. That's why we call it an organism. And you see an incredible amount of organization uh, within the, the, the first church, even to the point they actually kept a tally of the people, the number of converts, you know, after Peter's sermon, they're like 3000 people. How do we know that? We counted 3000 people. <laughs> You know, so th there was an incredible amount of organization and the needs as the church grew, you know, the apostles couldn't do it all. And so they then at that point recruit uh, seven men, create a whole nother office function, that being deacon. But at this point, people are selling things. They're, they're wanting to meet the needs. They're trusting the apostles and their wisdom and how to uh, distribute the money appropriately, wisely. And we're given an example of, of one of these type of hilarious givers. Um, Jose's again probably Joseph, who I, I love. I love. It's like the, it's the first nickname given in scripture. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, John was known as John the Baptizer, but you know, it still had like it was more of a title. Like this is literally a nickname. Like we're told, whose name was also Barnabas by the apostles, right? Which is translated as son of encouragement. Which I love this guy, who we know is a Levite. Uh, from the country of Cyprus, which means that he wasn't wasn't living in Israel, um, more than likely a, a wealthy individual to live um, outside of of kind of of Israel proper, Cyprus, an island. Um, again, a Jew Levite. We're told that he had land. No doubt was probably there in in the in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Uh, was one of those that had traveled for the feast. Uh, heard the commotion, saw these people speaking in, in tongues and, and, and stays around for the sermon and his heart gets moved. We don't know if he knew of Jesus before this, but he knows Jesus now. And he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's part of this church, part of this community. No mention of him before this. Like, no mention of him in the Gospels. Uh, he's not listed as one of the apostles. Could he have been a disciple of, of the Lord before this? Maybe, but we just don't know. He's introduced to us here. And the guy was so... Holy Spirit filled. Like he was just that personality where they're like, yeah, we're not even calling you by your God-given name. We're calling you Barnabas because you're the son of encouragement, which I love. I love he's, it's the first nickname given to anybody in the Bible, Barnabas, who ended up becoming the first traveling companion of Paul on, on the, his first missionary journey. This Barnabas, again, son of encouragement, filled with the Holy Spirit, was just one of those guys you loved being around. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody like that? Somebody that, that just kind of oozed, like the Holy Spirit just bubbled forth, and you, you spent time with them, and you just, like every time you hung out with that person, you left feeling like you were a little closer to Jesus, and some of the Holy Spirit splattered over, you know? Yeah. You yeah. guys, any, any, any examples of that from your, from your own lives? Yeah, for sure. 
Like, I did. You guys are just tonight. I did. No, I had two friends. Um, it was after I was out of college. They were in Athens. They were at the Grace Athens Church. I had two friends over there. Every time I would hang out with them, I just always felt stronger as, like, in my faith with God. Like, I mean, that's just, they, they were so influential to me or to build me up or building up other people around them. Like, they were just awesome. Always an encouragement. Nick, yeah. I know that there, there's somebody in your life that, that filled, filled a, similar, a similar place that you've, you lost recently, right? Yeah, my grandfather. Your grandfather was big into lighthouses, which is a great picture of Jesus. And you got a, a lighthouse tattoo, right? I do. On, on the back leg. of your calf, which is, which is sweet. Um, by the way, our condolences for, for your loss in the, in the Monty family in, in, in that regard. Uh, I, for me, when I think of Barnabas, um, I think of one of my professors in Bible college, um, a guy named Tom Mouch. And Tom was an old guy. Uh, if he's still alive today, he's like 130 years old, um, which I doubt he's still alive today, but I have, I have no idea. He was uh, one of those old Calvary Chapel guys. He was a tennis pro in Maui, uh, <laughs> was friends with Pastor Chuck Smith, was around at the beginning, had served in all different capacities in various churches as a volunteer pastor. And, uh, but man, when, when, when you ran into Tom, and again, he was an old guy, tall, had a, a lean build, and he's the only person I've ever seen walk like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. You know what I mean by that? Like, yeah. where when you look at them, it looks like they're walking backwards, but they're progressing forward. You know, like, <laughs> like Michael Jackson? Like they, no, yeah, but it's not a moonwalk. It's just like this lumbering. Have you, seen, have you seen wheels uh, on cars where it, it looks like they're spinning Spinners. one way, yeah. but they're going the other? That's what his feet look like. Like, he's walking in reverse, but he's going forward. Just lumbered. <laughs> And Tom was that guy. Like, no matter if he knew you, if he didn't know you, he was, it was just, there was a charisma. The Holy Spirit just bubbled forth. He was an encourager. Um, just a cool guy. And uh, made an impact on me, personally. Just encouraged me in some, of, some, some dark places where I was wrestling with issues. And you just couldn't help. Like, if you were in a bad spot, find Tom. And, and you know what? Tom probably found you. And, and just within a minute, like, your spirits were lifted. And this is this guy, Barnabas. And again, he's got some wealth. He has some land. We don't know anything about it. We don't know how much. But he sells it, brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet. You know, I, I think that there's something, there's something important about a little side detail there. You know, some, some people love to be generous, and they understand generosity. But, but the way that they approach it is with strings attached. Like, people like to give but they want to make sure they have some control over what's done with that money or that gift. And I'm not saying that, that, that there's not a place for that or not, but that's not true generosity. Like the whole idea behind giving is that in giving, you're, you're putting your money into a healthy place in your life. Where it's like, you're not going to rule me, I'm going to rule you. I'm going to make sure you know that you serve me and I don't serve you. I'm keeping the, the hierarchy, the priority, um, of my life. And I'm keeping money in check. Again, it's not money. Money's not the root of evil. Money's amoral. It is the love of money. And so we have to safeguard our hearts about, about becoming too dependent on physical resources and not, and, not, and not the spiritual. And to do that, we give money. But when you put, when you control it, you know, you, you're, you're allowing, you're, you're, you're let, me, let me put it this way. You're making it more difficult to keep money in its proper place. As opposed to like, you mean nothing, I'm giving this, I trust the church, no strings attached, and as a result, it's in its proper place. When people give for a reason, and they want control, uh, do they control their money, or, or is their money still controlling them? This guy, Barnabas, is a great example. Sells the land, no one asks him to. This is a natural manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in his life, and all that he's been blessed. He's looking around the community of the church and he's like, there are people that, that have needs and you know what? I trust that the church will handle these needs. So he sells the land. He brings, he lays the money, gives it to the apostles. He says, guys, do with it what you will. And that sets the context. I know that was a long intro, but it kind of sets the context for what then happens. So this is the climate. This is the context. Chapter five of the book of Acts. We read, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. 
So Barnabas is setting an example. There are other people doing this. Now we have Ananias and Sapphira also selling a possession. So uh, they are members of the church. They are part of the community. But we're told, verse 2, that Ananias kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and he brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, nothing wrong has happened at this point in the story. Uh, No one is telling people what to do. There are no rules to this. The Spirit leads. People obey. Barnabas is one example. Ananias and Sapphira feel moved to sell a possession. They sell the possession. They probably make it a little bit more than they anticipated, and they decide, well, let's keep back part of, of the proceeds for ourselves. Now, the idea being presented here Again, no one was telling them they had to sell the possession and give all of the proceeds. But it appears that the, that the motivation for selling the possession was to give all of it to the Lord. Meaning that when they sold it and they saw how much they sold it for, they're like, wow, that was a lot. And they kind of renege on what the Holy Spirit was already prompting them to do. Again, still not a devastating thing. Uh, definitely not. Uh, worth the consequences of, of what's to follow, but it's what happens next. So Ananias and Sapphira sell a possession. Uh, they know how much they make, and then now they're going to, to take an allotment of it, not the whole like they intended, but a part, and they're going to give it to the apostles. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now there's a component to this. So they come and they bring the proceeds. They make this offering. There is an understanding, at least from the perspective of the apostles, that Ananias is giving the full sell price. Now, Ananias has not disclosed that. And so there's some deceit here. There's a little sleight of hand, a little Ananias is not being genuine. Again, a pretty radical accusation. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Now, you know, I don't know exactly how it played out, but I imagine, you know, they're having a a church gathering. Uh, There's something formal, you know, to how this is unfolding. Um, Everyone knows Ananias and Sapphira have sold this possession. Everyone knows that they sold this possession with the intention of giving the proceeds to the church, with the intention that the apostles would then distribute the resources to meet practical needs, just as Barnabas Ananias comes and he doesn't disclose the truth. Now, if he had come and said, you know, guys, you know, I I know this is what I was going to do, but, you know, it ended up being quite a bit of money and we just kind of decided to shift gears a little bit. And so uh, we're not giving the full sell price. We're giving a portion, uh, but that's the deal. Okay. Now that might be a matter between you and God, but as regards to the church, like, Hey, we weren't asking you for anything anyway. So to each his own. And yet, there was a hypocrisy and an, and an overt deception being perpetrated by Ananias uh, that, that Peter immediately addresses. And I should, I should mention that. You know, sometimes I think we're so passive when it comes to being church leaders of, of, of not wanting to offend people, not wanting to step on toes. But, but Peter, man, he's got boldness, doesn't he? Like, not only is he like, yo, I'm going to confront you on this. Uh, but I'm going to call the spade a spade. You're lying to God. And like, and I'm stepping in, in, in the midst of this, not because we need your money or not, because we don't, but, I, but I'm stepping in because something is wrong in you. And this is a manifestation of that. This is evidence that there's something rotten here. And uh, this is not good. And we're told that, that, that Peter rebukes him. And in response to the rebuke, Ananias dies. <laughs> you know, now... I. I need to point out that Peter did not strike him dead. That's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Like that would be, I mean, there are times in church life that that would be a wonderful 
gift of the Holy Spirit. What's, what's your job in the church community, brother? I strike those who need to be struck. You know, Capital like, punishment. I, I, am, <laughs> I am the hand of God. No, I mean, Peter rebukes him, and, and, then, and, and we don't know if, if Ananias died of, of a heart attack, if he's overwhelmed. More than likely, I, I'm, I'm of the, the pers- perspective that it was, it was a judgment of God, that there's something happening here in the church community that, that God is wanting to, to root out immediately and to safeguard the church um, uh, from going down a particular path. But that's not the end of the story. I, I need to keep reading. We're told, and the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And, and again, I love kind of the, the nonchalant way that this works. Now, Nick, you're, you're an usher yeah. uh, at Calvary 316. And Derek, you're, you're a young man, right? Generally speaking. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine if we're at church, right? And, uh, and someone comes down to present an offering, and they get struck dead by God. And I'm standing up there like, shoot, this isn't good. Um, this is a good blueprint for what you should do. <laughs> you know, uh, this, this, we should actually put this into our, our guidelines for new ushers. That mm. in the case that someone is struck dead, uh, you come down, you roll them up in a rug, you carry them out, and you bury them. So That's I'll why we have that big lot behind us. Keep playing, keep playing worship. Y'all keep, don't pay no attention. Pastor, you keep preaching. Yeah. Uh, we'll take care. Of, we'll take care of this. Uh, no worries. Should we have a closet just for like five or six rugs? Just uh, on hey, hand now. Hey, you guys got a bunch of prayer rugs? No, there are yeah. burial cloths. Yeah. So the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, buried him. Put him in Joe's trailer. Verse seven. This is the part of the story that gets really interesting to me. Verse seven. Now it was about three hours later when his wife Sapphira comes in not knowing what had happened to her husband, Ananias. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And I think Peter, I think Peter, I think Ananias and Sapphira probably had hatched this plan. I don't think Peter's laying a trap for Sapphira. Again, she has no idea what's happened to her husband. She has no idea that Peter knows the truth of the situation. I think what Peter's giving Sapphira an opportunity for is to just come clean. Like he's before she says anything like he, he is appealing to her conscience, appealing to probably a conviction that already exists. He says, tell me how much you sold the land for. And she said, yes, for so much. So she doesn't tell the truth. She lies. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed Together to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And I, I love the anticipation of, of the young men. You know, <laughs> they, they've already gone through burying Ananias, and so they watch Sapphira walk in, and they're like, "All right, boys, let's get ready." You know, like <laughs> like we know what's closet. happening. Stretching, stretching, stretching. Get the next rug out of the closet. Um, and Peter's like, "Yeah, yeah, hun. The, the the very people that buried your husband are now on the way down the aisle." because they're about to bury you. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So, you know, if Ananias maybe died of natural causes, Sapphira is, like, there is something uh, spiritual, divine, miraculous taking place. She breathed her last, and the young men came in, found her dead. They carried her out, buried her by her husband. And then we're told, so great fear came upon all the church. And upon all those who heard these things. Now, a few, a few points. What is happening? Well, God is preserving something important within his church community, which is very young. And, and because it's very young, it's very impressionable. The apostles um, have not been on the job long. Um, they're in the formation stages. Um, there is a sweetness and innocence, grace upon grace. There is a, a purity to what is taking place, what's happening. It is true that this young church has already faced a measure of opposition in response to the preaching of, of, of Peter and John. Uh, they have been arrested, uh, brought before the same group of people that had executed Jesus 50 days earlier. 
they had been instructed not to preach in the name of Jesus. To which they go out and they preach in the name of Jesus. There have been threats levied. The church is operating in a boldness and a power. The threat of persecution is there. And yet, you know, I found that Satan, the, the, the quickest way for him to destroy a work of God is not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. That the greatest, the greatest, the quickest, the easiest in some regards way to destroy a church community is not through outside influences. It's not through outside forces. In fact, as you'll, as you'll see later in, in the story of the book of Acts, uh, when this particular strategy fails, Satan does employ the outside in. There's per- he turns up the heat of persecution. What happens? The church gets more focused on its calling, more focused on its purpose, more focused on mission, mission service, fulfilling the Great Commission. The church becomes more powerful, grows much faster, manifests in radical ways. Persecution has a way of purifying the church and causing the church uh, to be more uh, the version of of, of, of a heavenly community on earth that, that Jesus intended. Corruption, though, is subtle. It's sneaky. And that's what's happening here. Ananias and Sapphira are being deceitful. They're being mischievous. They're being two-faced and hypocritical. And God intervenes. And he judges it's an interesting thought, but the first two martyrs of the church, you know, God killed. <laughs> you know, Ananias and Sapphira lost their life. And you know, I, I will say this about them. There's nothing that tells us that they weren't Christians. Nothing in the text that implies that. In fact, uh, we're told that they had a relationship with God. It's hard to ha- lie to God without a relationship. The spirit is clearly at work in their lives. I think it's elite to say that they're not believers. I think that they're probably part of the church, that they are genuine Christ followers. They have been filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, but they make a really terrible decision, and God wants to set a very serious precedent. And so, boom. (laughs) God whacks them both, and there is a reaction that tells us this was intentional. And, and, and the reaction in verse 11, we're told great fear came upon the church. And, and that's the first, the first thing that, that, that results um, from these type of things. When you take serious action to deal with real sin in a church community, when God intervenes, when God has to get involved, like there should always be, be a, 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 a divine reverence fear. Um, Yes, Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, our friend, our captain, but he is God. And our job is to reflect something to the world around us. Uh, This was not a seeker-friendly service. Um, This was, this was um, a serious, a serious thing. And and we're dealing with serious matters. You know, the church should be a serious place. Sometimes I think, I think the church service can get too cheeky with skits and comedy. And, and again, I, I, there's a place for brevity. Don't get me wrong. And yet what we're doing, what we're living in, uh, we live in a fallen world that is hostile to the things of Jesus. There is a very real enemy described as a lying, uh, seeking in whom he may devour. Uh, there are forces that want to destroy us. Like there should be a fear, a seriousness, a reverence to our calling, to our mission, to our commission, that we should be serious about being the church. Ananias and Sapphira were, were, were playing with things that they should not have been playing with. And you might call it lukewarmness. Again, a fakeness. And God dealt with it seriously. In, in Revelation 3, in a letter written to the church of Laodicea, you know, Jesus, again, writing to a church filled with Christians, is like, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And because of that, like you make me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Like, you disgust me. And I will vomit you on my, I will deal with it. If you don't deal with it, I will deal with it. And this is one of those situations where, um, you know, I think the church was very quick to enact discipline because they knew if they didn't, God wouldn't. God could be severe. 
you know, it gives you like, well, good grief. You know, God, what are you doing? You know, you look back at other precedents, like when God's doing something big. Like sometimes he will act in very extreme ways to, to, to hammer home important precedents. Like you go back to the formation of Israel as a nation. And there was an immediate challenge, right, to Aaron's authority being, being in charge of the priesthood. Like who gave him, the sons of Korah, who gave him the authority, the right? And so Moses is like, well, God did, and we're going to settle this right now. Uh, if you're either with us or you're against us, here's a line in the sand. If you're with us, come over here. If you're not, you go over there. And once that had happened, you ought to open the ground and swallow a whole bunch of people alive. And you're like, well, wow. Well, God wanted to hammer home an important precedent, and that was not challenged again. Miriam, Moses' sister, kind of questions his authority. She gets struck with leprosy. Like, God doesn't. Like, when, when we're talking about the beginning of things, because it's so important to establish the right precedent to establish the right vibe, the right direction, the right standard. But I also love this. This was a church committed to being pure, to rooting out sin, to, re, to, to being... Uh, like, they were not interested in, um, in appealing to the world around them. Again, this was one of those moments that, like, if you're an unbeliever in Jerusalem, right, and you're kind of like, you've heard about this Christian thing, you've got some friends inviting you to church, and then you hear that people are dropping dead if they're not right. You, you would be initially like, you know what? I, I'm really not sure. Like, we're told that there was great fear came upon the church and upon all those who heard these things. The, commun the pagan community around this church respected what was happening in this church. They feared it. I'll never forget years ago. My dad went to check out a, a church ministry that was booming, it was growing. I'm not going to mention it, uh, the name of it. But he couldn't find the building. And so he was driving around. My dad's terrible with directions. He was trying to find this church. Kind of a nondescript warehouse is where it was located, etc. And he pulls into a gas station and he sees this, this biker all tatted up bald head, leather jacket, you know, and my dad rolls down the window. He's like, Hey you. And the guy looks over, you know, with a glance, he's like, I I'm lost. Can you help me? And the guy walks over and uh, he's like, well, what are you looking for? It's like, I'm looking for this church. And he looked at him and goes, well, why in the world do you want to go to that place? My dad was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, man, I know a lot of people that have gone into that place and they've never come out the same. I'm scared of that place. And my dad was like, I didn't even really need to go at that point because like, that's the greatest <laughs> hmm. reputation you could get. Like you're either, you either gravitate because there's something missing in your life that, that, that you believe you can find there. Or if you're like, I'm not interested, but man, I am scared of those people. Ananias and Sapphira. An important lesson, a powerful lesson. They were made examples of, uh, but God had a purpose. There was a reason. And I think one day we'll see them in heaven and they'll be like, man, that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> you know, it wasn't worth the money. Like, again, it wasn't like, there, like we made so many mistakes and there was no reason for that. Um, fellas, any thoughts about, about again, a very, a very interesting. There's power and purity when a mm -hmm. church is seeking to be pure genuine authentic there's a power that emanates um the only th thing that that i l always think about with this passage the first time it was taught to me the thing that was really driven home and you touched on it but i wanted to bring it more to the forefront um is the is the part where paul says you aren't lying to men you're lying to god um and it's the fact that like none of what they were doing was for the apostles they didn't sell the land for the apostles. Like if they were, when Barnabas did it, he didn't sell the land for the apostles. He didn't sell it for the church. He didn't even sell it for the needy who got the money after he sold the land. He did all of that for God. And I think it's really important to keep that in the forefront, both for the person selling the land and for the apostles when they're receiving the money. Yeah, very true. Because it's nobody on earth has any right to that money. It's, it's a matter between you and God. And that also kind of gets back to, 
you know, a, you know, a, a deeper component to the story that that I didn't really unpack in, in a lot of details, but it's worthy of attention. And that is the motivation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what motivated Barnabas? Well, it seems as though by the fruit of his actions, that his motivation was very genuine, that the spirit moved on his heart to sell the land, seeing a need to be met. And he, and he gives it no strings attached. Like he didn't care about people seeing it. didn't care about people knowing about it. He did it because God told him to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was as simple as that. Um, it would appear that Ananias and Sapphira had a similar motivation initially that God had impressed on their heart uh, to do a similar, a similar deed. Now, it could be, again, in the context of the way this is framed, that they're doing this after seeing Barnabas do this. And so this was kind of a, a tit for tat. This was, you know, maybe the motivation was, uh, was more of a attention to oneself or to keep up with the spiritual Joneses. You know, or they, they saw the, the, the attention that Barnabas received, though he wasn't seeking it. Again, his gift is recorded in scripture. And they're like, wow, like, like he's cool with the apostles. Um, he's got this wicked, cool nickname. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I can get kind of on the inside if I do the same thing. And, and then they don't, like, their, their motivation is wrong to begin with. They are doing it for men and not for God. And, and then that's why the whole gift gets warped because it all got perverted even from the beginning because of the motivation and that that's what God is trying to address right, right from, right from the jump. That has ties to Cain's gift. No, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, huh. they're, they're, yeah, I mean, Never if, thought you, about that. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to talk about another gift, um, you know, that inter- was warped from motivations. Yeah. You know, interesting, you know, he killed his brother. And in this situation, God's like, well, I've seen this play out, and I'm not going to let you kill Peter. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and strike you. <laughs> you know, like, we're just going to move this whole thing we're along. We're just going to move this, yeah. this whole thing around. Um, fellas, what, what, you guys have any, any um, again, interactive conversation, uh, anything that hits you about this particular story with the, the few yeah, minutes that I mean, left? like what Creighton said, I mean, tithing in and of itself, too, is a position of the heart. So whether their motives would have been to to piggyback on what, you know, he did to sell his land. I mean, because it doesn't really say that, like, oh, they were to sell it for this specific price. I think it was the stance of the heart of they sold it to give the proceeds to the church. And the fact that they could have been like, oh, well, this is quite a bit more. Let's just keep some for ourselves and we'll give this much. That should be okay. It's the fact that they kind of took that upon themselves to decide how much they should take and then how much they should give. And then in that ways, they were lying to God. Not, not men. Pastor, Pastor Chuck tells a story. I don't, I, I don't know whether it's true or false. I have no reason to believe it's not. But he, would, he told a story of, um, in the early days of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, there was a, a wealthy businessman. They were starting uh, a new endeavor. And he came to Pastor Chuck and he said, he said I just want you to know up front, uh, uh, me and so-and-so, we're starting this business. And we are going to commit to giving half of the proceeds to the church. Something that the Lord's laid on our heart. Um, and we feel compelled to do it. Chuck was like, well, I'm not asking you to, but may the Lord bless you. And that first year, they made $24 million and gave $12 million to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. <laughs> well, um, at the end of the year, a guy invites Chuck to lunch, sits down and says, you know, I, you know, I told you that this was going to be the, the thing, but, you know, we, this has been wildly successful. You know, we've kind of been obedient to it, um, but uh, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to change the percentage to something that's probably a little more appropriate. And, um, and Pastor Chuck replied, he said, uh, well, I'm sure God will slow the growth of your business to something that's probably more appropriate as well. (laughs) And sure enough, they lost like half the income the next year. Like, um, you know, again, God is looking for conduits of blessing. Mm. You know, you know, God can provide for the church without us but he wants to use us because there is such a reward in being the avenue of that blessing where God's like oh there's someone willing to give willing to be a Barnabas and so you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give to them and then you're like man God's blessed me and I have these resources and now I can start blessing like 
God's giving, and I'm just a conduit. I'm just in and out. And God's like, wow, okay. Well, you're, you're being faithful with a little. And I'm looking for conduits to bless so that they can be a blessing. I'm trying to meet needs. I'm just wanting to use people to do it. And if you prove yourself faithful, I, I'm a firm believer that God will, will increase your blessings knowing that you'll then in turn be a bigger conduit for greater blessing. I, I, I want to add, I guess before, before I get to that, Nick, you, you have anything you want to you throw in about the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Barnabas? No, I mean, the only thing, it's not much, but the only thing that really stood out to me when you were talking was how God set a president in the early stages of a church. It's yes. like, it's the same thing. The only thing I can think about is it's like, that's every, like, that's what you do and everything. You start a relationship. What are you going to do? You're going to do the right things. You're not going to go out and show your worst qualities. You're always going to show your best. So like, it just hit me. It's like, yeah, that's the right thing to do because there's only one way to go up. If you do the right things is it's going to grow. It's going to get better. It's going to fulfill his, what he wants for the church. And same thing with our lives that we see. I mean, if you want a better relationship with anyone, you don't show the bad things. You try to do the right things first and grow on them. That dovetails perfectly to, to, I think the, the last point. So, our, the, the church, the church, the American church has wrestled in years regarding like the most effective way that we can reach the world around us. And uh, sadly, the, the predominant um, positions have been uh, first seeker friendlyism, and then it became the attractional church model. And the idea being that the, it, the more the church looks like the world, the more comfortable the world will be to come to the church and in doing so, then we can expose them to the gospel in incremental steps and hopefully see them, see them come to know the Lord. And, and I think that's so backwards and so, so twisted. And, and the reason being, and I think this is the precedent that God is trying, that Jesus was establishing right here, is Jesus, churches for Christians, Christians are to reach the world. That's the model. The Great Commission was given before the church was even founded. It was given to Christians. The church exists to equip Christians to go and reach the world, meaning the church is a very particular focus, and the focus is not reaching the world, but equipping and ministering to Christians. And the best way that the church can fulfill that unique calling is to be a pure, genuine, Holy Spirit-driven community of believers, that we follow the blueprint that God established, that we don't seek to be like the world because we're not of the world. And the church is not supposed to be appealing to the world. We're supposed to be a, 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 an outpost by which we're sending people uh, into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church had no interest in like being popular with the world or appealing to the world. Um, people are dying in the pews and there's fear and, and there's a, a, a healthy respect. And I love what happens. Check this out. And I'm going to read a couple more verses. Verse 12, Acts 5. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So that's where they were meeting. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. What resulted in a church seeking to be pure? Yes, there was fear. There was respect. But there was a distinction that led to an attraction. The church was being something different in the world. There was power. That power was evident. And people were added to the church. The church grew. Like it's the opposite, you know, it's the opposite of, of, of what church strategies say today. You know, well, downplay that stuff because you're, that's a turnoff to the sinners. <laughs> well, maybe we should be a turnoff to the sinners so that they know there's something different here. See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's when the whole point is to look different from the world, it's hard to do your job when you look like the world. Right. Oh, for sure. Well, Creighton, did that kind of, I mean, you're the one that brought 
that brought the mojo. Yes, I very much enjoyed that. I thought this was a very this is a good one. Do we have any anything on the interwebs as far as any any comments or feedback? Anything to throw in here at the end? Uh, we have one hate comment from a man named Larry. Um, we also have a hate much comment. more interesting comment. What's the hate comment? So the hate comment uh, was in reference to you asking whether or not my mustache would increase my chance of getting a date. Oh, <laughs> let's, let's get back to the important things. He said no. Uh, his response was for Creighton to get a date. He'd need to hang out somewhere other than my basement or Zach's garage. Ooh. <laughs> cool, Larry. It's yeah, whatever. there are not a lot of single ladies in those places. <laughs> that is true. Um, more importantly, we have a comment from Kenneth Snipes and ostensibly Nikki Snipes. Oh, right on, the um, Snipes. When you were talking about Christians going into the world, he just said yes with like three exclamation points. Um for those of you who don't know, he is one of the Christians going into the world. He's a great guy, <laughs> him and his wife. Great to see you guys. Yes. Yes, I'm going back to you now, Zach. Awesome. Nikki and Kenny, love you guys. Can't wait for y'all to be back in town. Well, any, any final words? We're going we're gonna to tap out. No, let's tap out, bro. Sound good. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the Outlaw Radio Show. The show is live streamed every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. The audio is released the following morning on our podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast... Uh, it's hosted on Apple, Google, Spotify. For quick links, just visit outlawradio.live. If you are a podcast listener, I would love to invite you to check out uh, the live show Wednesday nights at 8. You can watch on our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live, or by visiting facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Nick and Derek, thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. Have fun. Always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Creighton, uh, thanks for the topic See as well as handling all the tech. Once again, my name is Zach Adams. I hope you join us this time next week for another episode of the Outlaw Radio Show. Good night, folks.